Welcome to Wanja City. My name is Wanja City, and you are now in my city. City, because a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Welcome to the third part of our four-part series, Tracking Wisdom. In this third episode in the series, we will be introduced to the bride and the man with a plan, get some insight on a proper plan, and see what happens when there's a surprise in the plan. You are now on board Wanjasity Tours where our slogan is the Wanjasity of it all because here we have more than audacity. We are Wanjasity. We begin with proverbs and I've titled this The Bride and the Man with a Plan. Now there are plenty of lovely sayings in this portion of the proverbs as indeed the entire book. They're useful for discipline, for insight and all things wisdom. What I've done is picked out a few of them and with a particular bias to the topic of the day you know, the man with a plan and his bride, because it's better to focus on a few than flounder in the mini. I just made that up. That's our Jacity proverb. So anyway, please read the book yourself to get all the richness in it. Now for this segment, we'll quickly look at chapter 16 to 30, which will leave us with only the last chapter, that's 31, to examine in the last installment of the series. That's in the next episode. And with that introduction, let's dive right in. Chapter 16. Now you see, this chapter has a bit to say on plans and steps, that we humans can make all the plans we want, but the ultimate decision maker is the Lord. That's the first verse. Verse 3 then urges us committing our plans to the Lord so that they may succeed. And in yet another verse, that's verse 9, we are told that in his heart a man plans his course, but it is the Lord who determines steps. The last verse in the chapter, that's verse 33, says that every decision is from the Lord. Yes, even that Lord cast in the lap. That is to say, God is greater than luck. The message translation of this chapter, from this verse 33, states it this way. Make your motions and cast your votes, but God has the final say. Hmm. So, while we're here making elaborate plans, God has the last word. Actually, he's the only one who makes us able to live, let alone plan how we want to live. Now, more than the plans themselves, the Lord weighs the motives of our hearts, according to verse uh, 2. And with his ability to see beyond the now, he works out everything for his purposes, even the judgment of the wicked, as we see in verse 4. The best we can do, really, is commit our plans to him so they succeed, and we are told that in verse 3. We will leave this chapter by looking at one of my favorite verses in the Proverbs. It's in verse 7. It says, When a person's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live a place with him. Awesome. Chapter 17, what I see here is warning against quarrels and strife, against folly, slander, bribery, loose speech, and lack of restraint. Verse 3 shows us that God tests or purifies our hearts by the tests and trials of fire. Once again, we are reminded that motives or intentions of the heart matter to God. He even tests the said motives of the heart. Now, verse 16 is interesting. It says, and this is, I'm quoting an IV. Of what use is money in the hand of a fool since he has no desire to get wisdom? That's direct. If you have any plans to have money, do the wise thing. Get wisdom. Chapter 16, sorry, 18 is keeping with a the foolish theme. And in verse 2, it shows us how not to be like a fool. Don't delight in hearing your opinion, devoid of understanding. Answering before listening is folly and shameful. Actually, the message translation of verse 13 puts it very bluntly. Answering before listening is both stupid and rude. I mean, these proverbs are just blunt. 
In addition, we are told of the importance of listening to both sides of the story because, according to verse 17, the first present his case seems right until the other cross-examines him. You see, words have a lot of power. Verse 21 tells us that words actually have the power to kill or give life. Therefore, let the words you speak be life-giving. Good talk is as gratifying as a good harvest, according to the message version of verse 20. Having a plan seems to be the starting point. The next is to speak life into it, which means speak positively about the expectations from your business proposal or marriage proposal. And speaking of which, verse 22 of this chapter is very often quoted. And it's instructive. Do you know what it says? He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Hmm. Here comes the bride. Chapter 19. We find another enlightening verse in verse 14 that's connected to the bride. Quote. Houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. End quote. Prudent is just another way of saying sensible or wise. Or wise. Wives are not inherited. They are gifts from the Lord. This I can tell purely by reading the verse. It's not at all complicated. However, that is in contrast to the wife that's mentioned in the previous verse, that's verse 13b, that a quarrelsome wife is like a constant tripping. Ooh, tough. That one is complicated. I find this chapter 19 has some very interesting things to say about wealth and giving. It is likely that we are making business plans or budgeting our income, so this chapter is helpful. In short, this is what I see. If you're wealthy, generous, a philanthropist, you can, quote, buy friends. Everyone flocks around you then. See what verse 4 and 6 have to say. If you're poor, just down on your luck. Even your friends and family will avoid, they'll duck you, they'll evade you, they'll sidestep you, they'll just not want to be around you. See what verse 4 and 7 says. But really, even just look at life. In verse 17, we are advised to be kind or give to the poor because when you do so, you lend to the Lord and God will reward you for what you have done. The Passion Translation puts it this way. Every time you give to the poor, you make a loan to the Lord. Don't worry. You'll be repaid in full for all the good you've done. Now, the Message Translation puts it this way. Mercy to the needy is a loan to God and God pays back those loans in full. We leave this chapter uh, with a reminder from verse 21 that many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. The Passion Translation says a person may have many ideas concerning God's plan for his life, but only the designs of God's purpose will succeed in the end. And I like to compare many translations, as you can tell by now. This is why I'm going to read from Message, and it says, we humans keep brainstorming options and plans, but God's purpose prevails. Wow. Chapter 20 is on purposes. And in verse 2, we are told that only a person of understanding can draw them out of their heart because they are like deep waters. If you're making plans, seek advice. Get guidance. That's what verse 18 tells us. But let us put in mind that the very steps we take are directed by the Lord. Otherwise, how would we know where we are going? Asks verse 24. We're also reminded about God's examination of us inside and out in verse 27. See, there are those motives again. Motives matter to God. 
And we have some good advice from verse 13, which says, Don't love sleep or you'll grow poor. Stay awake and you'll have food to spare. Now, I haven't forgotten the subject of the bride or the wife. And so from this chapter, I'll leave you with this thought. Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find verse 5. <laughs> now, chapter 21. Lest the men feel unduly attacked, let us observe the other side. See, in verse 9, we're told that it is better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. And verse 19 says, it's better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. We meet her again. You know her, the quarrelsome wife. The complicated situation. Yes. You see, for a man to feel it's better to live on a corner of a roof or in a desert than in his own home, the situation must be dreadful. I sympathize with such a one. But this is not just limited to a man. Some wives also deal with difficult husbands, and I wish that they too would prefer to go to that said roof or elsewhere. What we can agree on is that living with a troublesome spouse is pitiable. It's better to have a prudent, sensible, wise wife or husband from the Lord. Now do you see why this is a gift? Back to the plans, whether they're business, marriage, whatever. Verse 5 tells us that the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. These are thorough plans that involve hard work. What we also need is wisdom, as emphasized in verse 22. And I quote it from the Passion Translation. I really like this translation. In this verse, it says, A warrior filled with wisdom ascends into the high place and releases regional breakthrough, bringing down the strongholds of the mighty. Let me just say that this verse needs discernment to understand what it's saying. May you have it. Hard work is key, and that's we see in verse 25 and 6. We are told that a sluggard's craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. All day long he craves more, but the righteous give without sparing. Let's leave this chapter, but not before we listen to verse 30, 30 which says, There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. And the Passion Translation of verse 31 says it this way. You can do your best to prepare for the battle, but the ultimate victory comes from the Lord God. Still, do your best. Leave the rest. That's victory to him. Let's get to chapter 22. And it's talking about being diligent or skillful in business or work. That's what leads us to serving before kings. See verse 29. Let's strive to be skillful and good at our work, places of employment, our businesses. And while at it, work at having a good name, that's a good reputation, far above riches. Because, and I like the amplified version of verse 1 here, which says, A good name, and by honorable behavior, godly wisdom, moral courage, and personal integrity, is more desirable than great riches, and favor is better than silver and gold. Mm-hmm. Let's go to chapter 23. I call this one the self-control chapter. It has very good illustrations against gluttony, against greed for riches, against drunkenness, against ill-disciplined children, against sexual immorality, and specifically adultery. These are all great warnings for a disciplined life. And so yet again, let me invite you to read the Proverbs yourself to appreciate the sayings fully. I am just brisking through them. Chapter 24 is on building a house because
because a house is built by wisdom, established through understanding, and filled with rare and beautiful treasures through knowledge. That's in verses 3 to 4. TPT. Now, that's the Passion Translation. So when you hear me say TPT, I'm just saying the Passion Translation. It says it very well. Let me quote it. Wise people are builders. They build families, businesses, communities. And through intelligence and insight, their enterprises are established and endure. End quote. I, I almost don't want to comment on this thing as it's so, so, so sweet. We build our families, our businesses, our communities by wisdom. Never count a good man out. Though he falls seven times, he rises again. But the wicked are brought down by calamity. That's in verse 16. So you failed at a business venture. You're not the first. Even righteous people may fall. And not once, not twice, many times. What's important is that you keep getting up. Keep getting up. Let's finish uh, chapter 24 by looking at tpt verse 27 by now you know that's the passion translation it says go ahead go ahead build your career and give yourself to your work but if you put me first you'll see your family built up that's in talking about wisdom i love verse 2 of chapter 25 it talks about the glory of god concealing a matter searching out a matter is the glory of kings message puts it this way now that's another translation the message it says god delights in concealing things scientists de delight in discovering things you know what this tells me that god created everything and concealed it no surprise there and i i may as well ask him to reveal something as yet undiscovered so that i can also be a discoverer you know how even africa was discovered and people have been discovered yeah i mean he knows where these discoveries are so if he's concealed them and it's our work to search them out. Who is the source of the discovery? Think about it. And as you think about it, chapter 26. This one I've summarized. In short, it says, Don't be a fool. Don't be a sluggard. Don't be a quarrelsome meddler. And don't be a ma malicious lying flatterer. And with that, we're in chapter 27. You see, as you get recognition for your work, stay humble. We hear that said so often that I wonder if we really hear it. Stay humble. Don't praise yourself, verse 2 tells us. Here is why. Because people are tested by the praise they receive, according to verse 21. Also, do yourself a favor. Find some sharp friends to keep you sharp. Because iron sharpens iron. That's in verse 17. Take care of your responsibilities and be diligent in your business. And you will have more than enough. An abundance of food, clothing, and plenty of, for your household. Handle your business. That's what verses 25 27 of chapter 27 is telling us. Chapter 28 has some quick takeouts here. It says, Be righteous. Live right, that is. Be as bold as a lion. That I get from verse 1. Work your land. Don't chase fantasies or you'll be poor. Don't be stingy. Don't be greedy. Give to the poor. Love justice. That's the way to rule and prosper. Chapter 29, uh, this one I call the justice chapter. You see, as we are building our communities and we already see that wise people build, what did we say? Their families, their careers, their communities. And as we are building our communities, we cannot ignore our nations. We need stable environments to thrive. The plan for the stability of a nation includes justice. It starts with the individual, yes, and a righteous good person at that, a just person. 
So this chapter variously lists justice's components that every good person needs to know because it's for the good of us all. Lead fairly, judge justly, have truthful advisors, detest dishonesty, care for the poor, fear no man, that is, trust God only. Ultimately, know that justice is from the Lord. Mm -hmm. Chapter 30. What chapter 30 does is it has clusters or groupings. They are named as follows. Insatiables, mysteries, intolerable, small wonders, dignitaries. I'll start with one. Insatiables, which just means they are never satisfied, like a patched land or a forest hike. Uh, two is mysteries. Amazing things like how does an eagle fly so high in the sky and a snake glide over a rock? Intolerables. For example, when a rich gets rich, uh, when a fool gets rich, and when I quote girlfriend re replaces a faithful wife. I mean that's just intolerable. Okay, back to the cluster. Small wonders, small yet extremely wise animals like the frail ant and the sneaky lizard in the palace. How do they do them? Just small wonders. And the last grouping is dignitaries. We have the example of a lion who is king of the beasts and a rooster proud and strutting. Hmm. So now, again, let me just invite you to read the book and the chapter for yourself so that you can really appreciate what those groupings are. I'll tell you what I find interesting about the things that have been lumped up in each group. Interesting. I find it's interesting that a lion and a rooster are in the same cluster. You see, I guess everything has its territory to shine. And so does everyone you just need to find your area of expertise not everyone is an eagle flying high in the sky not everyone is a lion king of the jungle but even a snake glides over a rock and you can find a lizard in a palace so just find your area do the thing for which you're created be the person you are made to be that's my understanding here as we finish this portion of this episode what's the plan Seek the maker of the thing for it first. We already saw the Lord has concealed the matter. Just seek him to reveal your discovery. Again, only a man of understanding can do that because the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. Then stop chasing fantasies and work your land, your gifts, and your talents. Seek God for guidance. Handle your responsibilities, take care of your business, and do it justly. And when the praise comes, do what? Stay humble. You'll find your favor, even your spouse, for those who are searching as you work your land that is minding your business. Then, you can together build your house with wisdom, establish it with understanding, and fill it with knowledge. It's a journey, so start by getting a God plan. And with that, we get to Ecclesiastes. That's the second portion of this episode. We're talking about a proper plan here. We have heard that we need to get a plan, a God plan. In this portion of the episode, what we hope to get is some insight on a proper plan because the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure what we'll do here and this will be a very brief portion is i will go through most of the remaining chapters of ecclesiastes that's chapter 18 to chapter 12 8 and we'll only leave very few verses of the last chapter for the finale episode next episode so welcome chapter 8 is still on wisdom and this chapter begins in verse 1 by telling us that wisdom brightens a person's face changing its hard appearance we are told why it's important to obey the king, because the king's word is supreme. Obeying the command of the king brings no harm, and it is in this verse 3 that we are told 
and their wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. Verse 4 continues the thought by saying, For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter. So you see, it's not enough just to have a plan, even a good plan, or better still, a God plan. The wise heart needs to know the proper time and procedure. Timing and procedure. Timing is crucial. Have you ever heard of comedic timing? It is that pacing of the delivery of a joke that affects the impact of the joke, like a good punchline that delivers the message. Timing in a lot of ways is everything, in comedy as in life. Then there's procedure. Procedure is process. The method, the cause, the way. Have you heard it said respect the process? Trust the process? Because no matter how it may be presented sometimes, there is really no such thing as overnight success. There is process. The work that goes on in the background long before it ever shows up in the limelight is the work. And the wise heart knows this. The wise heart understands timing and respects the process. So the teacher here talks about wickedness, crime, and its meaninglessness. It will go better for the God-fearing, he says. Prof recommends the enjoyment of the work one does on earth because no matter how wise one is, no one really understands all that goes on under the sun. Still, be wise, be God-fearing, enjoy your work. It goes better in the end for those who are wise than those who wickedly go about their business loading it over others even when they leave what looks to the rest of us like a very long time on earth. Let me go to chapter 9. Professor reflects and concludes that all, that is the righteous and the wicked, share common destiny. That, according to him, they and whatever they do is in God's hands. Verse 4 puts, has a very interesting quote, says, Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. The teacher once again advises the enjoyment of life, that's eat and drink with gladness of heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. Dress well, oil yourself, husband, enjoy wife. Your life with your wife whom you love, basically whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might while still on earth. I'll quote verse 11, it's been quoted many times and it's no wonder because it's so amazing. Quote says, the race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. End quote. Is Professor now trying to explain life as nothing more than luck? That can sound like humans have little to say in the life they have. Fate, destiny, chance. But to me, it also sounds like he's not just knocking off the value of speed, of strength, of wisdom, of brilliance, or learning. It sounds to me like he's saying everyone gets a break. The slow, the weak, the not too smart. Everyone should look out for what some have called the break. You know, your break, your 15 minutes. You've heard the story of the tortoise beating the hare in the race, read of David bringing down Goliath, seen some really smart people starve and some far less intelligent ones get wealthy. Yeah, fever is unfair like that. That said, Professor still argues that wisdom is better than folly. It is better than strength. It is better than weapons of war. The teacher says it is better to pay attention to the quiet words of the wise than the shouts of fools. I agree. Chapter 10 is still on the subject of wisdom versus folly, and the teacher has more to say. That a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor like dead flies giving perfume a bad smell, that's in verse 1. You can even tell how what a fool looks like as he walks along the road because he lacks sense and shows everyone how stupid he is. Again, I'm just saying the teacher's words. You can find that in verse 3. Simply quoting him. Here's some wisdom on the power of calmness to lay great errors to rest. Don't panic when a ruler is angry with you. Stay calm. I mean calmness. You know how? Just stay calm. Don't panic. 
The teacher laments a great evil he has seen, where fools are put in many high positions, while the rich occupy the low ones, where slaves are on horseback, while princes go on foot like slaves. That is a true error, prof. I agree with you. And even for this one, like another verse I said, you need discernment. Think about it and refer to verses 6 and 7. I like verse 10. It talks about if the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. More skill and focus equals less effort. You see, you've probably heard of the quote credited to Abraham Lincoln. Now, let me just say I don't guarantee the authenticity of that because it's been disputed who actually said it, but here it goes. Give me six hours to chop down a tree and I'll spend the first four sharpening the axe. Same principle. Sharp tools, sharp skills, less efforts. That is, spend more time at the beginning getting your edge sharp or sharpening your skills and you'll spend less effort doing hard work. Comprende? Your teacher here is for wisdom and work. Listen to this. If a man is lazy, thereafter sag. If his hands are idle, the house leads. What professor is saying in verse 13 is interesting. That although a party is for laughter, it is money that answers everything. Isn't that interesting? Chapter 11 says that it has something to say that should make many financial advisors proud. It talks of the importance of having multiple investments. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight, you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. That is, basically, put your place, your money in places, in many places, because you don't know what risks lie ahead. Diversify. We also told, cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. This could mean be diligent in your work, make thoughtful decisions, and you'll get profits. But it also means be generous, because someday, somehow, you'll be rewarded. I understand the verse to be talking about both investing and giving. It is not just about your gain or potential gain. What we should do should help others too. A good financial planner will advise you to budget for giving as well. Ask one what they advise. Hear what they have to say and compare with the teacher's advice in this chapter. So again, read the book yourself. Also, keep sewing. Do not be bothered by where the wind or clouds go because you'll never do anything that way. Keep sewing time-wise. Work in the morning, work in the evening. And take a risk. There, ask any entrepreneur what that means. They know. Or farmers. These ones are the real deal. The teacher even uses their language to teach us money lessons. Keep sewing. Also, in the pursuit of wealth, don't forget to enjoy your youth. Follow youthful pursuits. Yes. But know that you will answer for them. So refuse to worry and keep your body healthy. But remember that youth with a whole life before you is meaningless. That's how Professor ends this chapter. And that's how he picks it up in chapter 12 also. He talks about praise God from your youth before it all goes down. That is your body, your spirit, your life. It's all smoke. Nothing but smoke. Which is just another way to say meaningless. Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. As the teacher says. All that planning, all that working, partying, living is meaningless. Vanishing like smoke. What sobering words from the Professor of Life. And so to answer the question in this part of the episode, what is the proper plan? Wisdom. It says so at the beginning of the portion. And the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. This is not any common wisdom though. Again, it says so early on in the segment. I know that it will go better for the God-fearing. Which brings us to Job. Surprise, surprise. Some people like surprises. I am not one of them. 
unless I'm somehow involved in orchestrating the said surprise, I like a plan. A good plan. I like knowing that everything is where it should be. But life, life doesn't often pan out exactly as we desire it. And so we learn to roll with the punches and to leave room for the unexpected. Sometimes it even looks like I have no plan. I must be growing because I've grown from appreciating a pleasant surprise to actually anticipating lovely surprises growth. Somebody surprise me pleasantly, please. Okay, back to Job. When we last left Job, he had just concluded an impressive closing speech in his defense. He had boldly dared God to answer him. Tension in the courtroom, sharp intake of breath. We sit in eager expectation on the edge of our audience seats, waiting to see or hear the Almighty's response. Nail-biting stuff. The plan is for God to either... What's the plan? Who can know what God will do? He can ignore that there completely... Or strike us all with lightning, innocent bystanders notwithstanding. We're here, waiting for God to act, because we see Job is done. He seems right. So right, it seems that even his three friends who had so much to say now have nothing to say. We are waiting, looking up and about. But we are not ready. We are not ready! Who is that speaking? Where did he come from? And what is he saying? It reminds me of that proverb we just saw. The one about the first person speaking sounding right until he's cross-examined. Was this in the plan? Enter Elihu. That's chapter 32. The entry of a younger man named Elihu is a surprise. There has been no mention of anyone else other than Job and his three friends, EBZ. You know, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar. In the conversations featured in the chapters and episode above, there was no one else as far as we could tell. Apparently... Elihu has been silently listening to the older, presumably wiser men speak. He says that he dared not speak before as he was fearful and thought age should speak, advanced years should teach wisdom. But now he says he must speak because the spirit within him compels him. Elihu says it is the spirit in a man, the breath of God Almighty that gives him understanding. On that basis, he gets the courage to speak up, above age, above what I imagine was the culture and tradition of the day. But has it really changed today? Elihu is angry with Job for justifying himself rather than God. He's also angry with the three friends for failing to refute Job despite condemning him. He won me over early in his speech. Actually, in the first nine verses, when he gave the reason for his speaking up, he said, The very breath of God Almighty, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit has renewed him now. Chapter 33, Young One. Ah, yeah, I'll call Elihu that, Young One. He now turns to Job, urging him to listen to him because he says his words come from an upright heart. Again, he mentions that it is the spirit of God who has made him and the breath of God Almighty that gives him life. And then he adds, and I really like this, that he, Elihu, is just a man like Job, made from clay, and therefore Job should not be alarmed by him, nor should my hand be heavy upon him. Quote, Do you not feel that that young man's entry is a breath of fresh air, fresh wind into the scene? It's not an eagle thing, a position of privilege. It doesn't even come in on authority of age and wisdom. It comes in citing God's spirit as his authority. Take notes, people. Take notes. Young one is about to school, old school. Surprise! And so Elihu tells Job that God speaks to people in many ways. Maybe we don't perceive it. But he does in dreams, in visions, 
speaking to their ears in warnings, many ways. And this is in answer to Job's complaint that God does not answer him. That all this communication, according to Elihu, is God's bid to save his soul. And then he dares Job to answer him or be silent and listen. Ooh, child! Hey! Chapter 34. It appears Job has nothing to say or reply, so Elihu continues, and then this time he turns and he addresses the wise men. And he speaks of Job's lack of insight in his speech and God's almighty justice. Chapter 31, young one, is still on a roll. Here he's asking them whether it's just that Job says God shall clear him, yet asks God of what profit is sinless living. And then in chapter 36, he continues, and he will continue also in the last chapter, 37, of this portion. And here now in 36, he's emphasizing God's might and greatness that is beyond our understanding. He says God does not take his eyes off the righteous. God delivers the suffering in their suffering and speaks to them in their affliction. He also says that no one but God can prescribe his ways. Hey, this young one isn't playing around. He comes out swinging with facts, observations, truth. It's evident to me that the spirit in which he's speaking is different. To begin with, he has clearly been following keenly what these old men have been saying. When you're told to watch what you say and how you act in front of the children, it is not just for their good, it's also for your benefit. If you listen or read, and once more, let me urge you to read the book for yourself. Young one here is quoting, sometimes almost verbatim, what they have been saying, and he's countering it with truth. You said this, but this is the correct position, like watch what we say. His position from what I see is that first, God is right. Two, and this one, this one, he gets brownie points from me. He emphasizes, he, sorry, empathizing, empathy. He empathizes with Job's situation. Well, the th three friends seem to me to be pushing Job to get right with God, to get out, as it were. Get it? Get out. Okay. Young one, Elihu here is saying that God is with you in the suffering. God's eyes are on you and he's speaking to you in your affliction. Completely divergent perspectives from the previous speakers. He says, God is mighty but does not despise men. Just a breath of fresh wind. Mm -mm. Let's finish with, verse, with chapter 37 because in the end, what has been a lecture from young one to old timers, he presents God's greatness that's beyond our understanding paints a visual picture that began at the end of the last chapter that's verse chapter 36 of god's majesty in the waters the rain the clouds the lightning of thunder he points out god's thunderous voice that makes animals take cover all men recognize that voice when he roars and commands the elements he holds nothing back that's god elihu demonstrates god's majesty through his creation the snow the ice the wind the clouds the sun and he winds up by stating that God comes in awesome majesty and urges men to revere him. Oh, how right Elihu is. Do you think he knew he was preparing the way for the entry of the awesome majesty himself to enter scene? You will want to remember all the last picture young one has just painted here as it sets the scene for the entrance to the finale. Yes, we have one more episode and for that one, the king himself will address us. As we prepare for that, and you do need to prepare for that, let's appreciate just what a lovely surprise Elihu has been. Now, I must admit, I didn't at first see much difference between Elihu's speech and those of the three friends. 
They all talk a lot. They have lovely language. Very poetic. I didn't get it. Not until last time. I mean, not until this last time when I read it. The breath of God really makes a difference. And that's the difference. It is the spirit of God in a person. The breath of the Almighty that gives one understanding. Not just in the speaker's case, as in Elihu, here, but in the reader's understanding. Sweet Holy Spirit, what a pleasant surprise you are in the plan. Age, experience, tradition, why sounding words. There's no barrier that can stop your flow, Holy Spirit. You breathe and fresh direction comes. The breath of God Almighty really gives life and understanding. This has been the third installment in the Tracking Wisdom series where we were introduced to the bride and the man with the plan. We got some insight on a proper plan in Ecclesiastes. And as we just saw, a surprise in the plan can be a great thing. Plan to join us for the final installment of this wisdom series where we will have something from the wise Proverbs woman and her king. We will hear a concluding king's word from Ecclesiastes and sum it up with a magnificent king's speech in Job. It will be grand. I look forward to your company. My name is Wanja City of Wanja City. Reminding you that a city on a hill cannot be hidden. So go forth and shine.